as we continue to look at the life of Samson this morning. Judges chapter 15. Do you guys believe God can take ashes and turn them into beauty? It's the power of who he is and his name. So let's pray that this morning. Father, we do believe your word, your promise that you take what is ashes and you turn it into beauty, that you're always working even in the midst of the challenges of life and the brokenness of life. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that rebuilding work in us. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your word, that you would confront our attitudes and our actions and bring freedom in you. We pray that you would be glorified or that every heart would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, this study's for you. Yes, men, this study's for you. I think that Samson provides a lot of material for men. The things that Samson struggled with are the things that we struggle with as men. A lot to be learned for women as well, but especially for us as men. My prayer is that we would be transformed as men in these weeks that we're studying the life of Samson. His life started out with great potential. If you remember back to chapter 13, his parents were barren. God promised them a child. With this child came a calling. It was never a question of calling. It was always a question if Samson would walk in it. The same is true in our lives. There's a calling. There's a calling placed upon us. Good works that God's ordained for us to walk in. But the question is, will we enter into those good works. Samson then, last week in our study, had marriage gone bad, didn't he? The lesson that we learned from Samson last week, if you remember, is he had incredible strength, but a dangerously weak will. What makes strong men go bad? A lot of times it's lust, and that's what caused Samson to get off track. Took a wife of the Philistines. Before the marriage feast was over, It ended in his father-in-law taking his wife and giving his wife to his best man. That's where we pick up this story as we go into chapter 15. Here's the challenge. Here's the question for us. And I, I want all of us to think about it for just a moment. Are you emotionally driven or spirit led? Are you emotionally driven or spirit led? And I've got a challenge for you as men. I think you're emotionally driven. All of a sudden, your heads went, huh? Me? I'm not emotionally driven. That's my wife. You know, that's the ladies that surround me. That's not me. I'm emotionally driven. A lot of times we think as women of being emotional because when women are emotional, they tend to do two things. Talk and cry. Those two things with their emotions. We're going to find that Samson is emotionally driven with anger and pride. And as men, a lot of times, those two emotions, they drive us. And when we're emotional, we get violent. That's what happens with our anger. We lash out with our anger. So it's not that we're not emotional. It's that our emotion looks entirely different. I think we all have testimonies. We all have personal experience 
with how our emotion gets the best of us and destruction takes place. And that's what we get to observe in the life of Samson today. We get to unpeel and look at three different emotions that he's going to have. Anger, pride, then brokenness. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 15, begin our journey. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. The young goat is his little peace offering. Do you think that that can make up for the fact that he called his wife a cow? Remember that last week? He said, if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have figured out the, the riddle. Two lessons there, men, is don't let any man plow with your wife, right? And then don't call your wife a cow. So after calling his wife a cow, here comes Samson saying, I've got my young goat. It's the equivalent of you going to pick up some flowers and bringing it to your wife saying, I hope this is going to appease things. He asked this, and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Samson has a wrong view of women, doesn't he? As he's approaching this, he's after one thing. He wants to have sexual intimacy with his wife. It's out of convenience, not out of commitment. I don't think he ever saw this relationship with his wife in the way God would intend as a commitment, where you're laying your life down to serve your spouse. Sex is to be between a husband and a wife in the context of relationship, of commitment, of mutual love and respect for each other, not just out of convenience. And you can hear it in his voice. You know, I, I want to go into my wife. Let me into to her room. Somehow this young goat, this peace offering is going to make everything okay. Verse 2, her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. What is this really saying to the younger sister? Samson's not good enough for my older sister, but she's good, he's good enough for me. Wow, thanks, Dad. I really appreciate this. To put yourself in Samson's shoes, we heard of this news last week, but he's just receiving it. It's current news for him. What? Wait a second. You've done what? My, my wife has been given to the best man in my wedding? And how does he respond in verse 3? And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Samson is now going to allow the emotion of anger to take control and start acting out in anger towards the Philistines. Look with me in your Bibles at chapter 14, verse 19. Let's read it together. One chapter to your left in your Bible, chapter 14, verse 19, or one click on your iPad, verse 19 of chapter 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the exchange of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. He lost the riddle. He has to provide clothes. He kills these men to have the clothes. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. Underline his anger was aroused. He burned hot with anger. Now as we get into chapter 15, he finds that his wife's been given to another man and his anger kicks in once again. He says, this time, I'm going to be blameless in what I do to the Philistines. Here's our first emotion. 
Consider this and write it down. Anger quickly becomes the driving force. Anger quickly becomes the driving force. Anger is the default emotion for Samson. He's emotionally driven. And is that true in our lives as well? Things go wrong. You don't get what you want. You get frustrated. And all of a sudden, bam, the default is angry. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I've got to let somebody know. I've got to let them have this. Sure, men and women both struggle with anger. And generally, it's a generalization, though. Men become more violent in their anger. I read this article yesterday in U.S. News and World Report. This is the title of the article. Domestic violence is as American as apple pie. Domestic violence is as American as apple pie. Because of what's been exposed in professional sports... We are now talking about, as a country, domestic violence. Some of you may say, I'm lost. Ray Rice, a professional football player for the Baltimore Ravens, this video came out. If you've seen it, it's extremely disturbing. He's in an elevator with his fiance. He punches her so hard, he knocks her out flat and then drags her out of the elevator. This article that I read went on to say this. One out of every five American women and their lifetime will be raped. One out of every five. This is already happening. This isn't a future statistic. This is the world that we live in with violent men. If you think that I'm being unfair towards men in this anger resulting in violence, one out of every 71 men will get raped in their life. One out of every 71. One out of every four women from an intimate partner, someone that they're intimate with, sexually will get beaten, burned, choked, slammed, or hit. Severe violence that will take place. Is anger an issue among men? Absolutely. Some of you are angry that I'm talking about anger. You're like, I'm so agitated right now. I don't know why I'm so agitated. Can't we move on to, to something else? This is what we find a lot of times is we give ourselves a get-out-of-jail-free card, because we go, well, I'm not Ray Rice. You know, I haven't done some of those things that you've just listed. Some of you dudes are going, you know what? I'm just silent in my anger. So I don't even have a problem with anger. Yes, you do. Your silence is violence. You've got daggers going on with your, with your silence. Get some courage and enter into the discussion. Your silence you're totally ticked off at the world. You're ticked off at your spouse. You're ticked off at your kids. You're ticked off at your employers. And you're prideful in thinking you're not angry because you're silent. No, you've got anger going on and it happens in nonverbal ways that are destroying relationships all around you. Men of God, examine your hearts. May we be broken before the Lord is our default emotion anger. What do we do? What do we do this morning? I think that there's some repentance that begins to take place. Some honest conversation with God. God, man, I see myself in Samson. As I've been studying the life of Samson, it's been so easy to go, well, Samson's down here. And we're up here. And so let's just ridicule Samson for four weeks. And I'm finding there's a lot more of Samson in me than I want to admit. So it begins 
with repentance before God and some apologies. Men, would there be some apologies today? Babe, would you forgive me for being angry with you? Kids, I'm not being a good example and acting out in anger. Is there an answer? Is there a solution? Yes, be led by the Spirit. Are you tired of behavior modification? And what I mean by that, it's like, okay, I heard a message of how I should behave, so I'm going to go and do that. I'm not going to be angry anymore. Anybody sick and tired of trying to do it on their own strength? Raise your hand. Yeah? All 20 of you? Awesome. (laughs) The rest of you, good luck. Keep going on it. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own strength because it doesn't even last a week. A lot of times it won't even last till we get home. We're angry again. Well, what's going on? So it starts with repentance and then it's dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Not by power, by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Being led by the spirit. So there's this moment where I want to be angry. I want to be frustrated. I want to throw something. You're about ready to lose your cool, men. Ladies, you're about ready to blow up in, in your anger. It's the spirit of God. God, I need the power of your Holy Spirit to change me and transform me. It's not behavior modification. I'm not the source. You're not the source. Jesus is the source, and he begins to change us from the inside out. The book of James gives us some indication on this. It says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The blood begins to boil, anger's ramping up towards violence. Slow down. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Listen. Oh man, two ears and one mouth. Was God making a statement with his creation? Absolutely. Try listening twice as much as we speak. Slow down. Listen. Then speak. Be slow to speak. Speaking is appropriate. Men, communication is needed but it may look like I need to step back. Give me a half hour to pray. I'll be right back. I need God's heart. I need God's perspective. And then speak in a constructive way. And slow to wrath. Be slow to anger. Slow to boil. Slow to burn up. Why? Because the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. When I'm angry, when I'm acting out in that, I'm limiting God's work. God's work can't be done in my anger. It was a driving force for Samson. I think many times it's a driving force for us as well. Let's see what he does. Let's see how this plays out in his anger in verse 4. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. This is an amazing feat. We don't know how he caught 300 foxes. We don't know how long it took, but he did catch these foxes, put them in pairs, and then lit their tails on fire with a torch. This almost sounds juvenile, doesn't it? It's like something a 14-year-old boy comes up with. I'm going to get these guys. Verse 5, when he'd set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. The shocks were a pile of grain. Remember from verse 1, it was the time of harvest, completely devastating for the Philistines. 
They lost their food in the coming months. Not only was it the time of harvest, but the vineyards were destroyed. Their production for wine was destroyed. The olive groves, the production for olive oil, olive trees grow very slowly. This was a devastating blow that was given to the Philistines. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Brutal. His wife, his father-in-law are now burned with fire. If you're struggling with the fact that God is bringing judgment on the Philistines, please have a large view, a biblical view of the Philistines. When Joshua was sent in to the promised land, they were asked to bring judgment upon the Philistines. God had given those dwelling in the land of Canaan 400 years to repent. This right here shows the brutality of the Philistines. They get angry and they go and and they burn this young woman to death. They burn her father to death. Samson's response to this, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you and after that, I will cease. When anger is the driving motivation, when it becomes the default, what do we do? We operate in revenge. We go, you did this to me, so I'm going to do that to you. That may be the state of some marriages this morning, some key relationships, is you feel disrespected by your spouse. You feel that your spouse is talking down to you. You feel your spouse doesn't spend time with you. It's very cold. So instead of having unconditional love and choosing to be a blessing to them, you say, I'm going to give it right back to them. If you treat me like this, I'm going to treat you like this. It's almost like being on the playground again. Recess happens and somebody does something to you and so you're going to do something to them and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And we're going to see this with Samson and the Philistines. They both just want to get even. David Guzik, a Bible teacher and commentary, says this about revenge. Retaliation is a never-ending story, and no one really ever wins. Those who trust in God must be able to say, retaliation belongs to God. It's surrendering it over to the Lord. God, you know, you understand, and I'm not going to be pulled into this. I'm going to trust you and choose to honor and glorify you. In verse 8, so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Hip and slaughter is a phrase that he beat them top to bottom. The scripture saying he really kicked their can is what the scripture is declaring. I don't want you to miss this. I, I fear if you miss this in the study of Samson, you're going to get the wrong view of God. And you never want the wrong view of God. So God's working doesn't justify Samson's actions. Let me say that again. God's working doesn't justify Samson's actions. God had a plan to do a work against the Philistines. He desired to use Samson by Samson walking in godliness. Samson chose to walk in ungodliness, and God's using Samson in spite of himself. So God's not approving anger. God's not approving sexual sin. God's not approving pride. God's not approving revenge. He's using Samson in spite of those things. And it's kind of confusing in this section of scripture. If you go back to chapter 14, you see this, that 
Samson goes to get a wife of the Philistines. His parents are upset. And then what does God say? He says that the parents didn't know that this was of the Lord because God sought an occasion to do something against the Philistines. So God's larger mission is in view, but please don't justify Samson's actions. Let's look at verse 9. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. So now the Philistines are, are coming after Judah. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered and said, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done to us. You can hear the revenge. We're, we're going to get even in this. Samson sings the same song. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. He wants revenge as well. Samson's saying, I'm just returning evil for evil. Anger always does that. 3,000 men of Judah now come to arrest Samson to give him over to the Philistines. This shows the kind of intimidation and respect that they had for Samson. 3,000 guys to go get one man. So the story continues to develop in verse 12. But they said to him, we've come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourself. They don't like the fact that Samson's messing up the status quo. He's putting their safety in jeopardy. So Samson says, okay, I'll go with you guys, but you promise not to kill me. When we read the story of Samson closely, this is what we find is that Samson's strength came from the Lord. It wasn't his own physical strength. It wasn't just that he was so buff and, and so strong that he could kill all of these men. It was something supernatural that God did in his life. So he may have had a very large physique and been a very buff man, or he may have had a, a smaller physique and God's spirit came upon him. But we see this in verse 12, is he has no confidence at this point that he can take on these 3,000 men because he's not feeling the spirit of the Lord. But then in just a moment, the spirit of God comes upon him and he's able to kill 1,000 Philistines. It's not his own strength. It's God's spirit that's empowering him to do this. In verse 13, so they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Two new ropes. Why? Because they're concerned that Samson will be able to break the ropes with his strength. They don't want a rope that's been weakened. If you're a rock climber, you know that the condition of your rope is the condition of your life. If you have a, a rope that's wore out, or a rope that's been walked on, a rope that's old and wore out, you fall and it doesn't bear your weight. So you're always checking the condition of your rope and you've got to buy a new rope when, when needed. And these guys know the strength of ropes as well, so they want new ropes to be put upon Samson. Verse 19, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. God's not approving Samson's actions. He's wanting to work against the Philistines. 
God had a much better plan if Samson would have walked in it. One that didn't involve Samson's personal destruction. God's working. The Spirit comes upon him. Could it be that there's much more in the life of the Spirit than we're personally experiencing right now? I mean, if this is what God's willing to do through a knucklehead like Samson, through a guy that's driven by anger and pride and lust and selfishness, what might he want to do with a group of believers that say, God, I want to submit to your Spirit? I'm going to go where the Spirit's leading. Jesus said that the Spirit's our helper, our comforter. There's an aspect, so much of the Christian life, we can't live apart from His Spirit, allowing His Spirit to work mightily in us. He breaks off these ropes just like flax, like pieces of wheat. In verse 15, He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out His hand, and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Whoa. One guy, jawbone of a donkey, kills a thousand guys. And maybe you're really into fighting and UFC and all that kind of stuff. I tried out once for it. It didn't go very well. (laughs) But you're thinking, you know, I could probably take three guys. I'm pretty tough. I can do this. I, I can take on three guys. I'm only one guy, but I can take on three. Maybe you're into martial arts and you're like, man, I could handle 10. I could handle 15. I could probably handle a 14-year-old. <laughs> but, you know, you can handle 15 guys. And you're like, yeah, I can, I can handle this. A thousand dudes against one guy. And Samson comes out standing, and all he has is the jawbone of a donkey. Well, at least it was a fresh jawbone of the donkey. This is supernatural. The Philistines have weapons They had that technology. They had swords and spears. The children of Israel didn't have any of that. They were held under oppression. When God did a work against the Philistines in the Old Testament, he did it by very simple and foolish weapons. Shamgar, earlier in Judges, defeated some Philistines with an ox goad. This is a stick that you would use to herd your ox. This isn't a normal weapon. God is showing the Philistines his own power. But then now we find that God's doing this huge victory against the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, not your normal weapon. Later on, a young shepherd boy by the name of David takes on their chief warrior, Goliath, and defeats him with a slingshot and a rock. God's showing his power that he uses foolish vessels. It's interesting as we study the book of Judges, no other judge experiences the power of God like Samson. The other judges rallied people. The other judges were given influence by God to rally people to do God's work. Samson's doing it alone through the power of God. God's really moving through him here, even though his life is so contrary to the way that God would want him to live. Maybe you feel a little bit like the jawbone of a donkey. Always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. You get the jawbone donkey award. Thinking God can't use me. Yeah, God loves to use foolish vessels for his glory and his purposes. Verse 16, then Samson said, he writes a little poem here. I told you Samson was emotional. Here he goes. He's rejoicing in this victory and gets this little song going. I'll sing it for you. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heap. No, that's probably not the way it was. 
with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, here it is, I have slain a thousand men. What's the second emotion that's driving Samson? It's pride. Write this down, meditate on it, consider it. Pride places self as the main character. Pride places self as the main character. This is clearly an act of God through the power of the Spirit that one man would kill a thousand, but Samson's very quick to say, I have done this. This is his pride. Proverbs warns us about pride, this attitude of pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Samson's life typifies that. He's going to experience the destruction. He's going to experience the fall. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Humility places God as the main character because he is. Amen? God is the main character. Men, let's examine this a little bit. A lot of times we want to be the main character. It even masks itself under doing good things. We do good things. We do good work, not for the purpose of God receiving glory, but so that we could receive glory. How quick are we to put ourselves in the poem, put ourselves in the song? Want to make sure that we're recognized, that people would see our hard work. It's hard and difficult for us to admit, man, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. It wasn't my gifts or my talents or my hard work. This was something that God did, and I'm giving God the glory. A prideful existence is a tough life. And just like being delivered from anger, turning away from anger, of turning away from pride, you're going to be set free this morning, men and women, if you say, you know what? There's freedom in God getting the glory. No one has to talk about me. People don't have to recognize me. I want God to receive the glory. I want him to have all of it. I'm going to be careful to make sure that I give him the praise that he deserves. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're always competing as men. We always want to be on the top. We want to be recognized. I think in some ways, social media, Facebook and Twitter, it plays into all of this. We probably wouldn't be near concerned about Facebook and Twitter if they didn't put the counters there. They have to make it this competition that somehow has a state of your existence. You've got so many followers on Twitter. You've got so many friends on Facebook. You put out a post on Facebook and this is how many likes you get. And it becomes this competition of your own pride. And, oh, I got 40 likes. I got 50 likes. Oh, I only got five likes. Nobody notices me. Is that kind of how you live your life? Always looking for validation? Going, I have accomplished something? So much freedom in allowing God to bring pride out of our lives, to point people to the Lord instead of pointing to ourselves. At the end of this chapter, we're going to see the last emotion. And so it was when he'd finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth-Lehi. Ramoth-Lehi means height of the jawbone or hill of the jawbone. He's memorializing his accomplishment. He's building a new subdivision and he's going to call it Jawbone Heights. He wants everybody to remember what he did and how he killed a, a thousand men. In verse 18, then he became very thirsty. 
So he cried out to the Lord and said, you've given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. The last emotion that he experiences is brokenness that came from his thirst. God has a way of humbling us. Here's this great warrior that's empowered to kill a thousand men, but he's going to die of thirst. Could you imagine how thirsty you'd be after this kind of battle? What does his need do? It brings him to God. Consider this, brokenness is need brings us to God. Need brings us to God. Unfortunately, with Samson, he doesn't experience brokenness that's going to produce life change. Recently, the CEO of PIMCO, some of you may be familiar with that name. They're a very large investment firm. They run about $2 trillion of investments a year. The CEO in 2011, he made $100 million personally. He recently, this summer, experienced brokenness, and he writes an article that his life changed when he got a note from his 10-year-old daughter. You know what his 10-year-old daughter did? She wrote down 22 things, monumental things in her life that her dad wasn't present for. He wasn't there, and she wrote them down. Can you imagine? A 10-year-old. My first soccer game, this award, this birthday party. She's writing all these things down. He read that note and he was broken and he resigned from his position. Took a job that makes far less money, but he's able to spend far more time with his wife and children. That's brokenness that produces a life change. Samson has a momentary experience of brokenness, but he doesn't surrender his character to God. He doesn't allow God to transform him. Please consider this. The needs in our lives are intended to bring us to God. Maybe there's financial trouble in your life, and everywhere you go, it's been difficult. Getting laid off, foreclosed on a house, bankruptcy. God wants to use that to cause you to come to him. You're thirsty in that sense come to the Lord. Physical challenges in our lives. Is God in that? Of course. In the midst of that pain to cry out to God and say, God, I'm coming to you. Life has gotten so difficult in the midst of this chronic pain. Relational difficulty. The brokenness and the loneliness and the rejection and all of that. I'm thirsty in that sense. Bring it to the Lord. God, would you, would you meet me in this? The need is intended to bring us to God. Samson has this moment where he cries out to the Lord. Maybe you're thinking about ending your life. You've already tried. You've never tried and you're contemplating trying. You're you're at a place you're hopeless. All these feelings that you feel inside of you, cry out to God. Come to the Lord. Allow that brokenness to, to lead you to the Lord. Verse 19 and 20, God's response to me is surprising So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called its name El Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. Hakor means spring of the caller. So it goes from jawbone heights to I'm the caller and God met me. God gave me a spring when I cried out to the Lord. Now, I'm very thankful that you're not God and I'm not God because if I was God, I would respond to Samson this way. 
you sure seem to have the, idol, the attitude of entitlement. You're angry, you're prideful, and now you're approaching me with this, well, I did this for you and now you're just going to let me die. Samson, go get your own drink of water. You can crawl and go find a well and good luck, buddy. What does God do? He doesn't give him any of that. I'd be a little more happy with the text if God would have given him some water and then said all those things from heaven. Samson! No. God responds in his grace. And I am thankful for that about the Lord. Because how many times would I deserve that response from God, but instead God graciously brings a spring. God graciously brings living water. In verse 20, And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. It's easy to look at Samson's life and only see Delilah, see this marriage with the the Philistine, this chapter with the foxes, and not realize he was a leader for 20 years. I'm sure he did some things good. I'm sure he was effective in some things. His name is listed in the Hall of Faith. So he's a lesson to us of how a successful, strong person that's used by God can easily fall. So this morning, church, here's the question. Am I emotionally driven or spirit-led? Men, is it anger? Is it pride? Women, is it anger? Is it pride? And as we close this service, I want to give opportunity for us to respond to God and to say, Lord, this is me, and you've touched my heart, and I want to do business with you this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're our dad that you love us with this amazing, unconditional, gracious, and kind, and yet firm love. You know our hearts, you know our attitudes, you know how emotion quickly takes control of us. I ask that you would do a work through the power of your Holy Spirit that can't be engineered by us. It can't be engineered by individuals, but only from you. This morning, if you say, you know what? Anger or pride, or possibly both, has become the driving experience in your life, and you want God to touch you. You want the repentance to begin now. Would you just raise your hand and lift it up and leave it up, and I'm going to say a prayer with you. and Just respond to what God's doing in your heart. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening online, just respond to God. Lift your hand to God. You're in the sanctuary. Let's pray together. Father, you see the hands that are raised this morning that are testifying of anger and pride and what it does. And I just ask in in Jesus' name, just as we sang today, that you would bring beauty from ashes. God, where there is domestic violence, I pray you'd bring great repentance and restoration and transformation of character. God, where there's silence, where silence has defined a, a relationship and it's angry silence, Lord, would you would you transform? Would you melt hearts? Would you take away anger? Would you fill with your Holy Spirit in a tangible way? May today be a landmark day, a breakthrough day. Father, for those that are prideful and say, you know, I've always got to be the main character of the story. As they're humbling themselves, God, would you lift that pride from them? Would you allow them to experience a tremendous amount of freedom? You can put your hands down. And those of you that say, you know what, need, I, I just feel brokenness. I, 
brokenness is the emotion that defines my life, would you allow that brokenness to bring you to God this morning? If you would like prayer in your brokenness, would you lift your hand to the Lord? Just lift it up and leave it up and don't miss out in God wanting to meet with you this morning. Father, you see these hands that are reaching out to you that are expressing their brokenness. God, you know their lives. You know the exact experiences and the hopelessness and the need. They're thirsty, God. They're very thirsty, extremely broken. Jesus, would you pour out your living water? Would you give your healing touch? You came to heal the brokenhearted. Father, would you feel comfort where there's pain? Lord, may there be real transformation that takes place through this brokenness. We know that brokenness is a beautiful thing in your sight. So would you bless them? Would you wrap your loving arms around them? You can put your hands down. And, you know, another group of people that just says, I need to be saved. I need to be full on saved. I'm tired of anger and pride and loneliness and selfishness defining my life. There's such good news, and it's the gospel. Jesus came and he died. He died on the cross and he rose again to save sinners. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And this morning, if you'll say, I'm repenting of my sin, I'm turning away from my sin, and I'm crying out from my heart, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. There's good news for the heart that turns to him in faith and submits to him as him being Lord, he'll save. If that's you this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior, you want to be the child of God. What you're raising your hand to is you're raising your hand to Jesus, very simply in faith, saying, Jesus, save me. If that's you, would you raise your hand and just hold it up high. Be bold in your decision. Praise the Lord. I see two hands there. Anybody else that says, that's me, I need to receive Christ. This is that opportunity to receive him. If your hand's raised, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for me and rose again. Would you forgive me and be the Lord of my life? Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. Father, we thank you for those that have responded to you. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? Amen.